Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. It is post-primary, and we have our full panel to debrief the primary election and look forward to the general in November. That means Rebecca Lynch is with us. Rebecca is with the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Welcome, Rebecca. Good to be here. And always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Uh, Good day, everyone. So we are going to spend almost the entire show debriefing uh, what happened on Tuesday, um, but also looking forward a bit towards the November election. Uh, We'll talk about some of the very specific races, uh, big races like the governor's race, the U.S. Senate race. Um, But I wanted to just start by first um, saying turnout was up uh, overall. Uh, high turnout, the highest we've had, I believe, since uh, 2002, which isn't like that far back or anything. We're, it's really the last super competitive. So turnout was up, but it wasn't like something that was astronomical where, you know, we're talking about the way it used to be when it used to be around 25%. And that, that would have been the Doyle-Barrett-Falk primary. Correct, where it was slightly higher. But, so, but there is certainly more interest... Uh, when you have real competitive races. So we, so we did see that. Um, and then before we go into some of the very specific races, want to, of course, congratulate all the Citizen Action members who ran for office, uh, who had really competitive primaries in particular. Uh, Jeff Smith, uh, who won his state Senate race in the Eau Claire area very handily against uh, two very good candidates. So we also want to thank our member, Marissa Bell Cabrera, who won in the state assembly race in District 9. She beat Josh Zepnik very handily. And so we're very excited about that. But then also statewide, Mandela Barnes, lieutenant governor. He's going to be the Democratic lieutenant governor nominee, which is extraordinarily exciting and, and won all, super handily. Already on the campaign trail with Tony Evers. And, and just want to flag on that, want to give a shout out to the Wisconsin Working Families Party. A lot of good effort also done there, including a, a huge texting program that I think was a lot, of, a lot of fun for members to participate in. And so a shout out to the good work done there on Mandela. The other race is Sarah Godlewski, uh, uh, won the, uh, the treasurer and will be going on into the general. So really, obviously, very excited about those. But let's dive in. And let's start by talking about the governor's race, because for Democrats, that was the big race. Rebecca, I want to start with you and get your thoughts on the race. Uh, Obviously, Evers won very handily, 42 percent, which a nine person field, quite quite significant. Uh, Tony Evers won uh, pretty decisively uh, all over the state. Certainly, um, we saw, you know, pockets of support for some of the other candidates and, you know, every Last I checked, every Democratic candidate for governor other than Mike McCabe has pledged to um, support Tony Evers and endorse Tony Evers. And so hopefully, you know, we'll we'll see um, Mike McCabe do the same sometime soon. But, you know, it's going to take all of us, I think, to get out not only everyone who voted in this primary um, on the Democratic side, but also reach out to people who didn't vote who are Democrats, reach out to folks who are independents and maybe even some Republicans who are unhappy with the direction of the country and the state right now. So it's going to take all of us. Um, but, yeah, Tony Evers won very decisively. Yeah, good point about how handily he won across the state. If you look at a map of where he won, he won virtually every county. You know, Malin, of course, won here in Milwaukee and um, did so quite handily and had a, had a good field operation here in Milwaukee. 
Um, Robert, your thoughts on, on the governor's race? Well, Milwaukee's actually becoming a bit of an outlier because in the presidential primary, uh, Milwaukee was the only uh, county that Hillary Clinton won, actually. Bernie Sanders won all the others, so that's very interesting. Uh, so, obviously, I think it's a very strange primary. Look, uh, Tony got less than 50% of the vote. Though then again, uh, Doyle got less than forty percent like in two thousand two. Yeah, uh, but you know the name recognition was overwhelming, and the fact that he has a fairly positive for the people who know him. They don't know him like they know Herb Cole or Russ Feingold. Let's be really clear. So Scott Walker still and the dark money groups will still try to define him for voters, and he's and he's very open and vulnerable to that, unfortunately. But they have gen people knew him much better, and they had generally positive impressions, right, in his record of people who knew him. And the other candidate simply, unfortunately, in our modern media age, didn't have the money to talk to voters enough for most of that for most of them even to be noticed by a lot of voters. And it's very unfortunate. It's very depressing because we progressive activists think, my God, we saw these candidates over and over and over again. But that's not how the average uh, voter experienced this election at all. I actually saw a really interesting strand on Facebook that I wanted to bring up that this brought out. And then before I go to Rebecca is somebody commented, you know, gosh, I went to so many events. I didn't talk to anyone who was a Tony Evers voter. It's kind of an important sort of learning that in this Democratic Party, a lot of activists may not know a Tony <laughs> voter or they don't know a lot of them and it shows a bit that there's this big chunk of the democratic voting block that maybe we're not in quite the kind of relationship or network we need to be uh it's worth considering right that there is a bit of that disconnect um but anyways rebecca i, I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond to thoughts on the governor's race further thoughts i think that in a statewide race in this modern era of campaigns, uh, there are there are lessons that we've learned appropriately, and I think there are lessons that we've overemphasized the importance of. And, and let me try to be less vague. You know, I think um, we saw. I think I think there people read a lot that's good into Bernie Sanders' victory, and I think there's a lot that we extrapolate that isn't quite accurate. And and so I, I'm. I'm I hadn't really walked into the pod today planning to talk about this. I'm struggling with how to phrase it. But, you know, I think we've got, you know, small d democratic messaging when it comes to social media. Um, and certainly I, I think that. All right, let me talk about some of the things that we saw. Right. So we we saw one candidate, uh, Kelda Royce, who tried to go viral with a video um, similar to the way Randy Bryce did, the way some other candidates have done, um, put a lot of money into television to get that video out there. Um, clearly, that did not yield the hoped-for results in terms of increasing her voter recognition or increasing, um, you know, people's knowledge of her as a candidate and of the race generally. Uh, you know, we saw, so, so that's one thing that I, I have in mind. And then a completely different thing is we saw a lot, I'm sure many people who listen to the show got a lot of text messages if they're in the voter file and their cell phones are in the voter file over the last couple of days. And I think that is a powerful new tool for getting out the vote, but it's not a good tool for making sure people know who the candidates are and are engaged, um, in the race in a thoughtful way. And so... You know, I think it, 
we're kind of like split between these two worlds of like kind of like dinosaur like you got to go on tv um you know statewide race it's all about like earned media paid media like that general kind of messaging um and then like the new methods of well let's get a video let's do paid digital ads um you know let's do gotv texts but like neither of those two things really filling the vacuum of engaging the voter in a meaningful conversation about the race so that they are informed when they walk into the voting booth and i think that um, you know, so we talk a little bit, you know, in our work at Citizen Action Working Families Party about relational voter contact work um, or relational voter programs, RVP, where we're talking to people we know rather than just knocking on a stranger's door. And I think that's powerful, but I think that's only powerful when you have somebody like Bernie or like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or someone who really gets you fired up and is going to get your friends and family fired up. Um and then I guess the other I know these are all like kind of like disconnected thoughts, but like another another thing that I want to like throw into the mix here is something we, we talked about repeatedly on the show that Mike McCabe's theory of the case was that field wins. Um, and, you know, we were like, we hope he does well, because that would prove something that we care about, which is like grassroots campaigns are how you win campaigns. And I think um, on the one hand, it wasn't like the perfect experiment to prove that because, you know, that campaign wasn't using. Um, the van um, in and wasn't targeting voters in a way that I think a, a experience like for you know working families party field campaign would do um, not not to speak of other candidates but the way we value field and the way we run really tight field campaigns but um, you know I think having a I think it's I don't know I think I think that's tough you know they, they worked really really hard and they did you know door-to-door canvassing you know for the last year basically I anticipated that Mike McCabe would do a lot better than he did um, in in the results. So anyway, so those are all my like disconnected thoughts. I think just to, to tie it all up with a bow, you know, I think we have to find in statewide races a way to engage the broader electorate, all those people who voted for Evers because it was the name they knew. And they're good Democrats and they're informed and like, I know that name. He's somebody I trust. We got to beat Walker. I'm going to vote for this guy. How are we engaging folks in like a thoughtful conversation about the candidates and the issues sooner? And the only the only response I have, sorry, I know I'm going on a bit long, but the only response I have is that I think you know, going back to what I said on the show last week, when you don't have a heavy hitter candidate, when you don't have a breakaway star, it's very hard um, to to penetrate the public consciousness. And so, that, I don't know. No, I appreciate that. We're gonna we're gonna take a break. We've got a whole another two segments to talk about this, so no worries on that. Uh, you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action, uh, and we will be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We are debriefing the primary election, and we will also look forward. Uh, but before we went to a break, Rebecca w- uh, was giving us a lot of thoughts, uh, very important thoughts about sort of the changing landscape of how you run a campaign uh, and just sort of h- some of the unique things that we experienced in this election. Robert, I wanted to get you an opportunity to respond and any other thoughts you had around the governor's race. Well, you've got to look at the dynamic here, partly. So a Bernie Sanders would not have caught fire if there were seven other kind of hard-to-distinguish progressives also trying to claim the same field and splitting it up, right? And he also wouldn't have caught fire probably if Hillary Clinton hadn't been 
such a problematic front runner, something that a lot of a lot of people were dreading as the and the way she was presented. And I know she's and some of her sources push back on this, but she was perceived as the inevitable nominee that had earned it and was in line, and there was a real reaction against that. We didn't have that in this race. If there was a Hillary-like candidate, uh, then one of the progressives might have caught fire. If there are fewer progressives competing for the same votes, one of them could have potentially caught fire, right? A Kelder Roy's, a, a Mike McCabe, et cetera, a Malin Mitchell. And then, in it, and then on top of that, I mean, Evers was not the perfect foil. I mean, Evers was not Hillary, right? So it's a very different dynamic. And I'm not saying we need the 2016 dynamic exactly. I'm saying we need to understand why there was this viral opportunity for someone who Bernie was written off as a perennial candidate type who was never going anywhere. People, people have to remember that it was felt that if Elizabeth Warren wouldn't do it or if Sherrod Brown wouldn't do it, the senator from Ohio, that we wouldn't have a strong progressive alternative to Hillary. And that all turned out to be wrong, right? So a lot of this is circumstance. A lot of this is, is that we just don't have that deep a farm team right now. In other words, they didn't really have name recognition. I know some people are saying that Malin Mitchell, got, and he ran this way, got all these votes lieutenant governor. People don't necessarily notice who they're voting for once lieutenant governor, quite clearly, because it wasn't reflected in Malin having very high name recognition in any of the polling. What the model actually is is in question. Rebecca said a lot of good things about what we should want, but how we run, I think we have a model that works better at a state assembly level, for example, or a city council level, but a statewide race with the number of voters involved, uh, just being able to get to scale, you can raise a million dollars and it's at a drop in the bucket now. And you and no matter how much media you buy of any kind, whether digital or broadcast or what have you, and is there a way, you have to have exciting candidates, but uh, even uh, some of these candidates might have been exciting in a different context, is my point. So I don't want to just say that we just didn't have the brilliance of Bernie. And Bernie was, in many ways, not that eloquent, if you actually listen to a Bernie speech. You know, I you know, as a Bernie member of the platform committee, so I, I admire Sanders Sanders a lot. But, you know, he didn't actually meet the traditional criterion for charisma. Look, I... We talked about this last week. I brought it up, right? The problem that was just a, there were a lot of progressives caught up in this votes. You look at this, okay? Evers forty-two percent. Malin ended up at sixteen. Kelda thirteen. Vine out eight. McCabe seven. Flynn six. And Soglin five. You could argue that's where those were the ones who were all actively campaigning. That's a lot of contestants who got over five percent, right? Who actually got a lot, a good chunk of people to go vote for them. So don't get too depressed, progressives, right? Like, I would argue that Soglin, I don't know, <laughs> McCabe, Vineout, Roy's, and Mitchell were really are making arguments for progressives. Vineout, we know her other issues, but she definitely has appeal to people who felt it was very important to court rural voters, right? So We all kind of tended to understate Kathleen's appeal with a certain segment of progressives all over the state because she did uh, surprisingly well. So, so let's remember, right, like these, a lot of progressives were split up amongst, amongst those voters, right, so, so amongst those candidates. So that makes some sense. In fact, I want to just quickly throw in an assembly race where I think the same thing happened, and that is Supreme Moore's race where Supreme lost to someone who's... Who, so uh, that was Leon Young's yep. former seat in Milwaukee, and Supreme Moore uh, uh, Akamunde is, am I mispronouncing it? Amakunde. Amakunde. 
beautiful name, actually. I just got to uh, practice it more. Uh, uh, w uh, was running and was upset in, in, a, in a race by a very young candidate in a, in a very hotly contested uh, three-person race, Matt. So you were comparing so, it. So Kalen, Kalen, who won, right? I think he's 19, very yeah. young. Like, it's incredibly inspiring. But, like, the reality is... We don't, we're not sure where that guy is necessarily on, on public education, right? And the people who, Rick Banks, ran an outstanding campaign. The guy was incredibly impressive, and he got 16% and ran a really progressive campaign. I assume that was progressives being split up, obviously, amongst two candidates there. And then there were a couple others who got 7 6%, right? So, so you have that happening, but it wasn't a great night necessarily. I'll just throw this well, on the side. This isn't the governor's race for, for pro-public education in terms of we lost Fred Kessler's seat, and right. it's unclear um, where we're going to be in terms of uh, su support for public education there. But that's something that needs to, and I needs to be kept on, although obviously Marissa Bell is going to be a, a strong supporter of and public education. And it is a problem in the African-American community that we need, that it, it's, vouchers are not in the interest of, of people, but it has a serious constituency because you've built it up, right? But Kalen Hayward did something interesting, Rebecca, I'm interested in your thoughts on, and he probably had the resources to do it, but when they saw how many through few voters were on the voter file, they said, we're hitting every door, and we're mailing every door. And then with Malin Mitchell blowing out turnout in the African-American committee, they probably talked to a lot of voters. The other two didn't because they did the more traditional, we're only going to talk to voters. And, you know, Hillary infamously micro-targeted so much that she missed a whole lot of voters in movement. I don't know exactly what happened in that race. I knocked on um, a couple hundred doors uh, for Supreme Moro Mukunde, who uh, we had endorsed, who's a very progressive county board supervisor. Um, and, you know, when I did knock on those doors... Folks were a little, over, not overwhelmed by the choices, but they're like, oh, all three candidates seem good. They're all saying the same thing. I'm not sure who to support. Um, so I had some interesting conversations with voters about, you know, why I was supporting Supreme and what that meant. Uh, I think I, I don't want to, I have to do a deeper dive into that race. And, you know, it's not a district I live in, so I'm not super comfortable mm -hmm. Um weighing in on the dynamics over, you know, someone who is from the district and knows more about it. But I will say that when I looked at the campaign finance filings in July, I saw that the Kaylin, the 19 year old candidate had a lot of money um, and, you know, money from developers and from other folks. And so way more than either Rick Banks or Supreme. And his dad's a major developer. So, yeah, so I, you know, I, I don't know what role money played in the race. I'm not taking anything away from his victory, but, like, that was something that really stood out to me at the time. Yeah. Did they have you just going to doors in the minivan on the voter file? Mm -hmm. Okay, that, so it's an interesting question as to whether uh, Kalen, maybe not getting new voters, but there's so in the north side of Milwaukee, so many people moving around a lot. Uh, maybe they found a lot of voters that had moved that weren't being pro was weren't being reached by banks or by um, Omakunde. Well, I, I think that's possible. But if you have lots of money, right, you can do that. You can mail everybody multiple times, mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, most campaigns are fortunate just to get a, a couple of mailers out, especially in a primary race. So, yeah. So, like, I. I 
if you have bucket loads of money, you can mail a broader list, especially in a state assembly race, right? Where you're talking at the most, it's fifty to fifty-five thousand people in, in a state assembly seat. Um, yeah, I want to in a moment pull back out yeah. um, from Milwaukee for folks who are listening from other parts of the state. But you know, your point about not a great night for public education is pretty interesting to me because you know we act the statewide teachers union chose to not really engage in these races at all um didn't endorse in the governor's race um made some endorsements locally but you know didn't have a real strong investment in these primaries and i think you know our theory of the case at working families party and at citizen action is that primaries are critically important um and of course you know we want to win back the state senate and i think we can in november um of course we want more democrats in the assembly but it's not just any Democrat. Like we have to have Democrats who are going to stand up for Milwaukee public schools. Um, and whether it's on the floor debating Republicans or whether it's in the room with Democrats caucusing, we need the right Democrats. And, you know, I just hope and implore all of our allies and partners to really engage and dig deep in these primaries. Cause it really, it will change the whole conversation just to have one or two people in mm -hmm. the room that are it and taking out one or two people who are in the room who shouldn't be. And I think, that's something that I, I hope in, you know, the even years to come is prioritized. Well, and let's be real on public <coughs> education thing that Matt brought up. Uh, Tony Evers, there, there's an issue there. I mean, he's done and is proposing some great things for schools. His fully funding special ed would be huge for urban districts and rural districts, just for example, and would help public schools that in Milwaukee, for example, end up paying for most of the special needs kids because the charter schools and the voucher schools skim off the kids who are not special needs. That's why they're not like public schools. They're not really open to any, everyone. They're technically open, but they don't, they're not really. And so, but Tony Evers did uh, take a very large charter school expansion grant from the Trump administration and, that, and Betsy DeVos, and that's very problematic because it will ultimately create a situation where uh, non-public schools, private schools, are taking more money away from public schools. The Progressive Magazine, Jeff Bryan, had a very good piece Friday about it, if any listeners are interested in it. Uh, but the problem is, is that to call a charter school a public school because it's chartered by public entity is like saying a military uh, contractor's public because it got money from the public defense department, okay? Can okay. I stay on topic and change the yeah. subject at the same yeah. time? So Mandela Barnes. <laughs> we, oh, yeah. we, we, we are going to allow you to finish that right after this break. <laughs> You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin, your citizen action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're citizen action. And Rebecca Lynch was just about to tell us a little something about Mandela Barnes, I believe. Mandela Barnes, oh, 2020. I'd love to hear a little more about election. Mandela. <laughs> you know, I think um, this is why, you know, Citizen Action, the Working Families Party, and so many other folks were so invested in Mandela Barnes winning the lieutenant governor's race because he is somebody who is bold and unapologetic in his values and, you know, speaks in a way that really resonates, whether you're in rural Wisconsin, whether you're in suburban communities, whether you're in Milwaukee, 53206, the zip code where he's from, uh, he can speak to every community. But when he does, he doesn't change his values and his principles. He is unapologetically progressive. And I think, uh, you know, I, I know it's not 
the only race that we want to talk about, but just to take a quick second to say he won huge against somebody who put in hundreds of thousands of dollars of their own money. Uh, I think it was a huge resounding victory. It was a victory for our, our progressive platform. It was a victory for millennials, for young candidates of color. And I think having him on the ticket, you know, there are folks and, you know, in the political world who will say it'll help us in November. I certainly think it will. But I'm looking past November. I think, you know, the Evers-Barnes ticket is going to win and we're going to be governing and having Mandela in in Madison as lieutenant governor while we're governing and we're talking about, you know, charter schools, are they public schools, are they not? When we're talking about how to have clean water in rural areas, urban areas, when we're talking about, you know, what we're going to be doing in terms of raising wages, building worker power, changing, you know, the massive tax breaks that we give to, you know, corporate businesses and instead reinvesting in communities. Mandela will be a stalwart defender of all of those things and it's really, really thrilling that he won and uh, I, I think it can't be overstated the impact that he's going to have not only politically to November, but after November when we're governing. One of the one of the areas where there's a great deal of alignment between Tony and Mandela is that they're both strong supporters of the Badger Care Public Option. In fact, Mandela has been campaigning on it, <clears throat> and we know Tony Evers has publicly supported Badger Care Public Option at our Healthcare Jeopardy event. So that is an issue that we need to, speaking of making sure that people stay focused if we actually win, right, and start to govern, that's, that is an area where we could definitely make real improvements. Robert. Well, I was just going to say that this is actually, you'd almost think that the running mates were picked rather than just, you know, <laughs> a, a shotgun marriage if each one won the primary, <laughs> right? Because uh, they have to run together in the general, but they run separately in the primary. Very strange setup, actually, in Wisconsin. That's not true in all states. Uh, but interestingly enough, you know, Tony has been critiqued for being kind of low on the excitement meter, Bland, on the on the stump. He's not <laughs> fighting Bob LaFollette, right? <laughs> Screaming at, at 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 completely energized audiences. That may that can work for a candidate because maybe people are looking for a solid problem solver rather than all of the drama of the Walker years, which there's a lot of fatigue around. But Mandela adds something to the ticket, so it's a nice balance that Tony doesn't have. And to the extent, and clearly they're going to use him. They're very, they already started with Mandela riding the campaign trail with him in a, in a very real way. That Believe me, that's not always been true. Uh, Walker was not uh, bringing Rebecca Clayfish out front and center very much. And Jim Doyle didn't bring Barb Lawton out, even though he should have, very much at all. And that's more on Doyle. That's not Barb's fault. Uh, but what happens if, if, if uh, Mandela is very you know, present, kind of a Joe Biden kind of figure, you know, where he's a very active present number two, that gives him leverage to have more influence over policy in the administration. So he becomes much more of a partner, and there's no reason a lieutenant governor, we haven't had it in the state of Wisconsin in a long time, because I mean, Scott McCallum was Tommy Thompson's lieutenant governor, so we have this history of Dan Quayle-like lieutenant governors, right, or, or lieutenant governors where there wasn't a good relationship like Doyle Lawton, um, but we could really move towards the national model like a Gore, like a Biden. Um, let's not use Cheney as an example, though he was very influential, where the lieutenant governor plays a big role. So, Robert, <laughs> the historian, is always looking back. Looking forward, let's make Mandela 
a lieutenant governor like we've never seen before. We so should, we should make the show like a drinking game. Yeah, where, like, you take a drink every time Robert references a historical well, figure. Folks, yeah. folks, <laughs> folks. History, Woodrow, we didn't go. Predicting the future is like driving in a car <laughs> with a fogged over windshield yeah. and all you have in your rearview mirror. Okay, folks. That's the <laughs> third great <laughs> Robert Craig analogy of the show so far. By the way, <laughs> um, can can I? I yeah. I, I, no, you can't right now. <laughs> I, I'm doing something I rarely do. I want to make sure, because uh, we're going to have Kim Butler on, who's running for state assembly in District 28 in our last segment. And I want to make sure we do not forget to talk about the state, the U.S. Senate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tammy Baldwin now has her opponent, Leah Vukmir. And isn't she a wonderful opponent? So, Leah, what's important about Leah, and I think it stands in contrast to Tony is how geographically limited Leah's victory was and what this portends for, for the race. So you mentioned early, Tony did very well throughout, throughout the state, rurally, th- all over the place, right? Whereas Leah did not. She got, quite frankly, beat pretty much outside of uh, the, the, the wow counties, right? Uh, or the ooh counties, uh, depending how owl, you know, owl, 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 owl counties. Uh, so, you know, her great strength was being over two to one in, in, the, in Waukesha, Zaki, um, and then some areas up the eastern side. But, you know, Nicholson pounded her pretty good and beat her. So there's some definite weaknesses uh, that ought to put Tammy in a very strong position. Plus, let's just be honest, we didn't talk much about it. That what a crazy just how far to the right, how in line with Trump could you get was that show which just does not seem to be a good setup in a race where Trump is, you know, quite frankly, one of the issues and highly unpopular, you know, running around 33% uh, amongst women in particular, uh, but in the low 40s in Wisconsin. So any thoughts? And of course, healthcare, really critical issue in this race. Robert, any of your thoughts first and then Rebecca? Well, healthcare will be the biggest issue. And we've talked about Tammy Baldwin being unafraid to campaign on Medicare for all and single payer healthcare and that that is actually a positive virtue. You might think that Leah Vukmir would be a problem on healthcare given that she is a nurse, uh, but her healthcare positions are unbelievably negative and kind of mean-spirited. I mean, Citizen Action Wisconsin, we've had debates with her over the years where she thinks we should basically give everyone their own savings account and get rid of most public health insurance programs, Medicare, Medicaid, et cetera, and uh, that that's the problem, that literally it, having, having things like Medicare and Medicaid is the problem. So what we're going to do, Matt and Rebecca, at Citizen Action Wisconsin, uh, because we had this bait and switch in 2016 where all these conservative candidates ran on the idea that they would protect people with pre-existing conditions and make costs lower and make healthcare more accessible. And there was a bait and switch. They tried to do the opposite, and there was a public outcry that stopped them. So since we're sure Senator Vukmir will, State Senator Vukmir will claim that she wants to protect people with pre-existing conditions, I'm sure she'll be willing to sign a pledge to that effect, that she will vote for no legislation in Congress that would in any way weaken protections against pre-existing condition discrimination and in any way legalize health care discrimination again. So we'll be sending pledges to Senator Baldwin and to State Senator Vukmir, and we'll see. My hope is that they'll both sign them because then we'll be safe, but my fear is, is that Senator Vukmir will not because she doesn't mean it. We will not be looking holding our breath for her to be <laughs> signing. Rebecca, your thoughts on this race? 
Um, yeah, I have a few thoughts. So one is, you know, billionaire Diane Hendricks, who spent millions of dollars supporting conservatives, has spent over a million dollars to support Leah Vukmir. And so I think we should expect that there'll be a lot more uh, billionaire uh, big money spending against Tammy Baldwin over the next and several weeks. And she's the billionaire Walker famously said he wanted to divide and conquer too. It was caught chattered on video, right? <laughs> so now her money is dividing and conquering. She, she she divided and conquered the Republican primary, and now they're going to go whole hog after Tammy. And so I think you know there are a lot of folks nationally and in Wisconsin who are like, oh, Tammy's going to be fine. She's great. Look at the polls. And I just want to remind folks that in 2016, late summer, Russ Feingold was leading in double digits. Russ? Who? <laughs> I know. I know. Oh. I know. So, you know, these polls are going to tighten up. Republicans are going to dump in a whole bunch of money. You know, we probably don't have time to talk about it today, but Randy Bryce did phenomenally well in his primary. And he actually ended up getting more votes uh, total than the leading Republican, who's now the nominee, Brian Style, uh, Paul Ryan's handpicked successor. And so I think Republicans will see that and be alarmed. And I think we should expect a whole bunch of money coming in, uh, you know, revving up the base, negative stuff against our folks, and and that things are really going to tighten and get pretty serious after Labor Day. And so our our collective efforts will be more important than ever in terms of trying to make sure that Tammy wins. Good point on Randy Bryce. That was obviously a very hotly contested race. He will head in, and uh, Randy is also a member here at Citizen Action, so we look forward to helping Randy. Also, we'll mention Glenn Grothman has a really hot congressional race against Cole. Dan Cole. Dan Cole. So that, that'll be one, too, where, you know, Grothman doesn't raise a ton of money. He, he will run on grassroots support. Uh, and it will probably make him vulnerable. So that is a race to watch. It's also an area of the state where, you know, I think you're going to see some of the wave potentially uh, we may see show up. But with that, we are going to take a break. And uh, on the back end of this commercial, we're going to be joined by Kim Butler. Kim is running for the state assembly. And every week from now until the election, we're going to profile a one of our members who's running for the state legislature because we think, well, first of all, we have a number of them running and we think they're great and we want to profile and promote folks running for office and, and running on a progressive platform. So you are listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're really happy in our last segment to be joined by a Citizen Action member who has taken the great challenge of running for office, which we think is absolutely critical, and we're going to be super focused over the next decade on recruiting great people like Kim Butler, who's running for State Assembly in District 28, which is in way western Wisconsin. Kim, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Matt. It's good to be here. So, well, first of all, we really appreciate that you're a member of Citizen Action, and we really appreciate you took the time. So tell our listeners a little bit more about Kim Butler and why you're running for uh, State Assembly. Okay. Um, well, I live in western Wisconsin in a very rural district. And about 2015, um, I realized that just voting was not accomplishing what I wanted. And my kids had just gotten their driver's licenses and were a little bit more independent. And Bernie Sanders really spoke to my heart um, on a lot of different issues, especially income inequality. I've been long thinking that greed is one of the biggest 
problems that our nation is facing. So I got involved in the Sanders campaign and ended up being a delegate to the 2016 uh, Philadelphia Convention. And Bernie said, go home and work for Democrats up and down the ticket, which I did, uh, working for Hillary, and got elected to the Polk County Democratic Party um, as co-chair. I had joined, I think, earlier uh, in the year, in 2016. Um, and so I've now in my second term as co-chair. And I knew that somebody had to run against um, Adam Jarko, who was the incumbent in this assembly district. But he ended up um, losing the SD10 election to Patty Schachner, which was really exciting for us because we realized that Democrats could win in rural west western Wisconsin. And uh, shortly after I declared my candidacy, Adam um, explained that he was not going to seek re-election to the Assembly. So suddenly my seat became an open seat, which has been really exciting. Um, bit of personal background, I am a former television producer in the Twin Cities. I worked for shows for PBS and the Discovery Channel and local um, television stations, writing car commercials and things like that. And my husband and I moved here because we wanted to raise our kids in a rural area. Uh, I've got a daughter who's going into her senior year of high school, and my son is a um, starting um, at a university in Chicago this year. So I've really seen the Walker budget cuts firsthand, um, affecting my kids' schools and really pushing out a lot of their experienced, wonderful teachers into early unwanted retirement, and that was one of the things that got me running. I'm also a 12-year cancer survivor, and since my husband and I own a small business, we buy our insurance through the ACA. So I've seen the huge uh, premium increases, and I'm a big supporter of the ACA, obviously because of the, the pre-existing condition uh, clause, but um, I really want to figure out ways to make health care more affordable right here in Wisconsin, and that's one of the reasons that I'm running. Should I pause for a little bit? <laughs> well, why don't, uh, Rebecca's got a quick question we'll ask yeah. of you. That, well, by the way, that sounds like a great agenda. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just want to say, um, Kim, it's Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Uh, one of the things I love about you and your campaign is that you are running on a truly progressive and bold platform. And I think there are a lot of uh, consultants and pollsters and others who will tell you to, uh, you know, settle down and, and go to the middle of the road. Uh, but you're not doing that. You're running you know, on a, a really bold agenda when it comes to education, when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to investing in your community. And so the quick question I had for you was, wh what is it that you're hearing on the doors when you talk to voters about these issues and when you talk to them about the race in general? Um, definitely healthcare is a big issue here. Um, people are frustrated with their premiums. People are frustrated, particularly in western Wisconsin, with our lack of access. Uh, Polk County, which is the major part of my district is the meth capital of Wisconsin. So we're dealing with a lot of um, addiction problems and, uh, you know, we can argue that this meth problem is really the result of a lack of mental health care um, and also a, I think, lack of good jobs. If kids graduating high school knew that they had a good career to move into, I don't think that we would be having quite the number of problems that we do. Um, if somebody gets, uh, I guess, arrested here on a mental health problem, they're shipped halfway across the state, and there's no psychiatric beds here in this part of the state. 
So we really need to um, address those health care issues. The other thing I'm hearing is, um, gosh, someone yesterday told me that uh, all politicians were crooks. <laughs> and I think that uh, we really need to get out there and knock doors and show people that, yeah, it's normal people like me who are running. Um, Margaret Engebretson, who just won for the, uh, the Democratic nomination for the 7th Congressional District to run against Sean Duffy, is another, you know, totally normal, run-of-the-mill person who's just stepping up because she sees something broken and we both want to fix it. Um, we don't have political ambitions. We're just trying to make the world a better place for people. So... Thank you very much for doing this. And by the way, you're great at this. You're a natural. If you're, if this is a, the way you're talking on the doors, then my goodness, I think you, you, you know, you're a great candidate. Just in terms of, I've had lots of practice lately. Just in terms of how you're putting really big issues in common sense, sort of conversational way, is is great. Um, we couldn't agree more, obviously, on health care and on seeing substance use as a public health problem but also a crying out around opportunity and, uh, and, and hopelessness. Yeah. And so I want to get to, because we totally agree with you on health care, uh, but kind of the, ec to ec the economy, economic development. I mean, Governor Walker originally convinced a lot of people up north that somehow he was going to care about them more than, uh, than Democrats had uh, when, during the Doyle years. It certainly hasn't been reflected, I don't think, in his policies or his even presence in northern Wisconsin, his physical presence. Uh, but he doesn't really seem to have an economic philosophy that could be at all helpful. If you're going to help uh, northern Wisconsin, you're going to need to actually make big investments and focus development there and have economic strategies for what could create the next generation of great jobs so that young people not only stay there who grew up there, but even move to these areas right, for opportunity. And so it just seems to me that you have to have a strategy. You can't just expect big corporations to side the land there because Foxconn is not, we, not that you would want it, but Foxconn is not going to plan to land itself in Polk County anytime soon. Exactly. Um, one of the things I'm running on is expanding rural broadband. Um, our neighbors in Minnesota have spent ew, probably 60, 70 million in the past three or four years, and we're at about 20 million. My husband and I own a internet-based specialty flooring retailing company, and uh, we can do that because we have a small pocket of good internet with our particular phone company. But I talk to people, and they are small business people who are struggling to get their businesses off the ground, and they have to get up at 1.30 in the morning to upload documents to their clients because that's when their internet's not being throttled. Um, I talk to, you know, salespeople in stores, and it's always this, well, let's wait and see if your credit card goes through. You know, this is an infrastructure issue that we have to fix right away. You know, people um, huddle outside the library in my town to use their Internet. Um, we need to make it accessible and affordable and dependable for everybody. Here in Polk County, we're close to the Twin Cities, and so people can work remotely and um, work for companies, and we also um, need to support that. I also want to see a lot of job training coming here. Um, we don't have a university in this area. 
So we need to depend on uh, Wisconsin Indian Head Technical School to get our graduates trained for the jobs that do actually exist here in uh, skilled manufacturing and uh, skilled trades and skilled tech jobs. So the jobs are there. We just got to get the training. And I also, uh, despite what President Trump does with the tariffs on green energy, that's our future. And we should be training people right here to uh, work in that industry in solar and geothermal uh, in wind power and getting people up to speed for what's going to be what is a major growing industry and is just going to continue to get bigger. And I would just add to that to have a strategy for developing that industry in every region of Wisconsin. So figuring out is it biofuels, is it wind, and what specific investments do we make because it, it means keeping economic uh, our dollars here. We yes. import fossil fuels. We are not a right. fossil fuel producing state, thank goodness. But we would literally, if we were making the energy in, in uh, Polk County, be it wind, solar, or biofuels, good biofuels, uh, then the money would be staying here and it would be a lot more economic impact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, one of the major reasons I have an issue with Foxconn is it's a foreign company. If it was at least a United States-based company, I could swallow it a little easier. But I just keep thinking about what if we spent that $4 billion on growing small businesses across the state? That would have a major impact. So let our listeners know, if they want to get involved and help you, how, uh, how, 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 excuse me, I'm having a tongue twister, how should they go about doing that? Okay, well, I am a middle-aged mom, so I live on Facebook, according to my family. And uh, Vote Kim Butler um, tends to be where you'll find me. Um, I think it's at Vote Kim Butler on Facebook. My website is VoteKimButler.com. Uh, and um, I'm also, yeah, I'm kind of on Instagram, same thing, and same thing on Twitter. But really, Facebook or my website. So, Kimbutler.com. So, folks, if you live anywhere in the area, you need to help Kim out. If you don't, please get on and donate to Kim. Uh, it does take money to get our message out, especially in areas where you can't necessarily knock every door. So, please help Kim out. Kim, thanks so much for joining us, and thanks so much for running for office. Excellent. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And with that, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We, of course, want to thank Kim for being with us. And as always, want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes the podcast happen every week. Producer Brian. Producer Brian. Rah, rah. With that, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.